0: Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran guillermo. Este sinofilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por millas y millas. Welcome to another episode of The Midnight Ride with Large William. Hey, one and all, what's up? It's me, Large William, here with the next episode in The Midnight Ride. I'm redundant, I've said that twice in the first 18 seconds of the show. Uh, This week's episode of The Midnight Ride is being programmed by one of my favorite people in the world, um, a fine podcaster... Who is in the in the throes of doing their doing the gauntlet that the orange and black gauntlet that he and the rest of the LBC crew do this time of year? That's uh, Miles from Show Show. So Miles from Show Show programmed a film for me from my motherland. He programmed Blood and Donuts, which is from 1995, and uh, as you could probably guess from the title, it's it's a vampire film. It's one that I'd heard about a lot over the years, being Canadian, and I want to say it either played at TIFF, or... I, I remember reading something in the Toronto Star, one of our local newspapers, way, way back um, in 95, um, back when we still got the newspaper every day. And uh, I just, I never got around to it. It's one that hasn't gotten a Blu-ray release. It's gotten a DVD release, but I think that was only locally. Although you can import it relatively cheaply, it did get a VHS release. Um, I'm going to guess that he picked it because I'm Canadian. Um, in any event, I'm glad that he did pick it. I had it's been a weird time for me in terms of viewing these films for Midnight Ride because two out of the five films, I think. Yeah, this is episode. Is it episode five or is it four? I want to say episode four actually. I could be wrong. Anyway, um, I'm going to say episode four. Out of the four films I've watched, two of them have been in hospitals of sorts. Uh, When I watched The Midnight Hour, I was uh, at a fracture clinic with my wife. And when I watched this, I was at the doctor's office for three hours. And I had the chance to watch this on YouTube. Um, So... Uh, without further ado, let's get into the film a little bit. I had always thought this film was based on uh, a comic book, or was adapted from a a comic book or something comparable to that. But I couldn't find anything when I'd looked online in terms of that. So I don't know. Maybe if someone knows if it is, uh, they can shed some light on that. But I don't know that it's directed by Holly Dale. Now I, I can't say that I was overly familiar. I wasn't familiar at all with uh, Holly Dale's name. Um, I do see from doing a quick rundown of her filmography, she directed a few episodes of Dexter. In fact, looks like this recent season, um, an episode called Chemistry and an episode called Are We There Yet? And beyond that, a lot of TV work, uh, some Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, Dead Zone, Durham County, which is a Canadian show. Um, anyway, wow, a lot of TV work. And, uh, yeah, sadly not a whole lot of TV work. I guess that's really the thing, though, for us in um, in Canada. A lot of times you end up working in TV shows for a long time, which I guess is a steady rocket. Uh, but, um, well, she actually did a movie called Dexter, ironically, ten years before she um, did the TV show. Uh, unrelated content, though. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing. A lot of TV shows are shot here on the West Coast, some on the East Coast, uh, meaning Toronto. And it's a way for people to get steady work. So what kind of stands out for me is the fact that it's a female directing um, a vampire film. And, I, and I'm sure there's a more thorough list in this. But when we think about great vampire films, and vampire films that are a little bit outside of the, the stale mythos and kind of the stale trappings of the genre... The, the big one that comes to mind, of course, and, and I would say it's probably the best vampire film of our time, off the top of my head, would be um, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. This film certainly isn't in a league with that, but it is a wonderful entry into the genre nonetheless. Um, it's really left field. It's, uh, it's been described as a horror comedy. I don't know if it's necessarily comedy. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff played for laughs. I mean, There's kind of some, a few goofy things that happen. It kind of has that feel, you know, a lot of times in the 90s with films, there was a lot of, um, you know, singles and three-way films with kind of love triangles and kind of indie rock uh, love stories and stuff. So, I mean, it kind of feels like that in some ways um, because you get a little bit of a love triangle between a vampire cab driver and um, a donut shop employee. And, uh, it's not, I don't know, it's, it's sweeter than just sort of your conventional love triangle, though. It, um, what happens is you get this, this pretty 90s shot of the sun coming up or going down. I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to where the sun was in the sky. Um, and there's this person in these amazing tapered, um, jeans and they are wearing cowboy boots and they're hitting golf balls on the top of a building off into the sunset or sunrise, and it's clearly Toronto. You can see the CN Tower, and you can see the skyline, and this golf ball, which is CGI, and it whacks the screen, sort of like Major League does with the baseball. Um, it ends up uh, ping-ponging down, you know, a lot, hits a building. It's the sort of the McDonald's, Larry Bird, uh, Ma- Michael Jordan thing, and it, it ends up banking off something, and it it hits this sort of army duffel bag hammock of sorts that um that Boya, the principal or the, the the sole vampire in the film, is sort of lying in and it sort of rustles him from his slumber and he starts kinda of staggering around and the film takes off from there. Um the actor that plays Boya, Gordon Curry, he's a Canadian American actor, he's got a pretty interesting IMDb. Um he was Brad Pitt's roommate for a couple of years when they when they were in L.A. together. And so he worked as a Ronald McDonald for some time in Hollywood, trying to make ends meet. And then he kind of the ball started rolling from there for him. Now he has very much a, a workman kind of the um, filmography. Like if you if I scroll back through his uh, his body of work again, a lot of TV. Ironically, we've had two um, two Twenty One Drum Street alums. We had Peter Delaue in. Uh, in um, The Midnight Hour, and now him in this. And uh, he also did that. He did Danger Bay, which, if you're Canadian, you know is an amazing <laughs> TV show. Um, Bordertown, another Canadian TV show. He played Miles Wolfe, ironically, Miles, in uh, one of the most maligned, but I still like it. Um, Friday the 13th, films, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, he was in My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. Um, Dieppe, which of course is very Canadian war movie. Uh, he r- did a run through the Puppet Master films four and five, playing Rick Myers. I'm going to assume he was the uh, the hero in those films. And then he jumped into this Blood and Donuts, which thankfully he this is amazing. This is one for the deadly doll. He uh, for f- a five year run he he played two roles in uh, in 90210. He played. Bobby Walsh, the wheelchair-bound cousin of um Brendan and Brandon uh, and Brenda Walsh, and then he played a cocaine dealer named Danny 5, which is amazing. Uh beyond that, um yeah, more TV stuff and something called Laserhawk, which sounds pretty amazing. Let's take a quick gander here. Oh, it looks pretty awful. Don't even get like a um you know, William Smith or a Um, Billy Drago or anyone in the cast, so I don't know. Anyway, moving from there, the thing that kind of... It sounds terrible to say, but kind of worried me was he seemed to play... (laughs) He played Satan in uh, a few of the Left Behind movies, or at least one of them. I thought there was two. He played like this variation on Satan. It was the Kirk Cameron religious kind of... um, um, (laughs) the Christian propaganda movies. So he's, and I guess the man's got to work, and it is what it is. So uh, he plays the lead, he plays Boya the Vampire. He's got very sort of 90s kind of crimpy hair, but but in spite of this, and in spite of him being a vampire, and gently falling into some of the, the trappings of the genre, I think he does a great job of being really likable. Um, and You know, frankly, all the cast in this film is really likable, they're all really sweet especially our three leads boya uh, louis ferreira who plays earl the the taxi driver he does a bit of an unfortunate kind of a bizarre i don't know new york new jersey italian accent he's portuguese but he's canadian so he's just he's laying this accent on for effect and it's I mean, he's been all around a lot if you've seen a lot of canadian tv you'll definitely be familiar with him and then helene clarkson who plays molly the the center of the um, the love and trust between the two um, to just to jump back into Louis Ferreira, where people would know him from, he did Shooter with, um, Zahman Lowe's favorite guy, Mark Wahlberg, he played Sarah Pauli's husband in Dawn of the Dead, he was in Saw 4, um, again, a lot of TV work, he played actually David Maisel's in the Grey Gardens, uh, uh, cable film, and yeah, I guess some other stuff along the way, certainly as well, but, um, yeah, so he, again, despite this kind of grating accent at times... He's pretty sweet. He's kind of a dopey. Oh man, another 21 Jump Street alum. This is amazing. He played Dean's brother in the Back to School episode. That's incredible. And after doing some Street Legal, uh, which Canadians will know, he uh he did an episode of a show called Stella where he played a cocaine dealer. So this is uh, this is great. This is fantastic. Oh, we did prom night too as well, which I'm a big fan of. So anyway, he, despite uh, laying on this accent thick, which I don't usually like that New Jersey, New York, very affected um, New York accent, New Jersey accent. He uh, he does a good job. He's pretty likable. You will get a pretty good um, uh, relationship with him and Boya. There are some subtle hints that. A bit of homoerotic undertones, but not a whole lot. It seems like more of a friendship thing, and Boya's a bit more European in his uh, in his mannerisms, so I guess I, I kind of took it that way. Maybe there's a little more than that, but in any event, it's a very sweet uh, a sweet relationship even between them, and there's not really any kind of cattiness or jealousy between Earl and Boya over Molly. Um, interestingly, David Cronenberg shows up, and he pays the heavy in the film. He's a crime boss. And he's, he's not in the film a lot, but he's, you know, got to give out to Cronenberg, man. He does a lot of stuff in genre and kind of unique genre films in Canada supporting some of the homegrown talent. So I really respect him for that because he turns up in a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, last night he put a little good, good little turn in. And when people mention actor directors, or excuse me, directors who have acted, he doesn't turn up a lot. And,. Uh, he should because he's very solid. I, I think it's because he doesn't do a lot of lead performances. Very small roles typically, or in Canadian films. But but he puts in a great turn. And um, another good turn, actually, from a heavy in this film, an actor named Frank Moore. He's a, he's a Newfie actor actually, and uh, he hasn't. Done, there's not a whole lot on him, but he's really good in the film. He kind of plays with. Um, he plays Cronenberg's um, right hand man, as a matter of fact, and. Uh, yeah, so he's he's worked a lot though as well. Uh, you know, Canada worked with um, uh, what's his name Cronenberg. He was in Rabid, he played Hart Reed actually <laughs> in Rabid. So um, yeah, so I mean, it, it, this film goes along. The big thing I take away from this film is as tired as we all are of um, a vampire film. And this, I mean, I'm so burned out on vampire films. I think. If you can strip away a lot of the stuff that's happening that, that... You don't need to necessarily make it a vampire film. It's more of a, I guess, a, a quirky, very stylistic film about friendship that happens to have a vampire and a bit of a morbid sense of humor about it. Um, don't want to say it's not a vampire film. There's some transformation stuff. There's some you know, some rat-eating, of course, which is likable. That seems to be a, a real thing with... Um, Likeable vampires in film. They have to go through the rat eating to show us that they don't, they're, they're reluctant to eat humans. But what was, another thing I found fascinating about this is it turns a few big conventions on their ear. And what happens is when Boya comes back, there's a woman who's been, who he was in love with, or they were mutually in love back in 1969. And the film actually opens with Neil Armstrong's walk on the moon, which there's a nice payoff with, with that. And, uh, a scene later on with this, um, the spurned lover Rita she's an older woman now but in 1969 I guess she was uh, she was Boya's lover and there's a great scene I don't want to reveal what she does but she does something to him pretty extreme and I mean if you're a fan of vampire films in any capacity you could probably imagine what that is but the way that scene unfolds um, it's really really well done from a dramatic standpoint because you you see kind of the hurt and anguish in his face emotionally um, versus physically and kind of what he says and it's uh it's a really good little scene. there's a lot of great little scenes in this film and that's that's the thing I, I think I take away from it on top of kind of liking the cast is that it's pretty well acted. I mean and let's let's look at the budget here. I mean it's a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget. Um it's shot in Toronto, it's got a primarily Canadian cast, I would say exclusively Canadian cast. Um they make really great use of some of their locales. Like they, they have a building, it's it's run down they, they put like a great neon sign on, not a neon sign like a kind of like an old marquee, not a marquee, like an old 50s style donut sign on the side of the building, and it's um they use that you know they use some interiors in a few kind of hotels nearby, and they shoot a lot of stuff at night, but it's that thing that when a director is good enough, they can a stretch the dollar and b they know their limitations to not make the film look cheap and Dale does a really great job of making your film look a lot more a lot richer than its budget. I mean, it's well shot. It's a really colorful film too. It's a film that I would love to see a Blu-ray for. I mean, we often joke about, um, putting out Blu-rays for films that need them. And if we got the money, you know, we hit the jackpot with the Powerball or with Lotto 649 here in Canada, this would be one of the, the films I would want to get the rights to and release it. I think it, it needs a bigger audience. Um, Especially for those that are tired of the genre, but still want to see a, a horror film that kind of goes a bit left field and and, and works really well, because um, it, it is it's colorful. Um, it, it doesn't rely on any. It doesn't over. There's not an over reliance on on anything to do with the mythos of, of vampires, but it doesn't actively try to deconstruct it either. It's just a film from a filmmaker that, that seemed very comfortable in what she was doing, uh, and it's something I have to say I'm pretty proud of our country for for putting out what I now would say, you know, over the past 20, 30 years, is one of the better vampire films. I mean, it's not going to be where it start, starts and stops. But I think if you're getting into the, the conversation of, you know, top 10, maybe top 10, top 50, I don't know, maybe top 10 of the past 20, 30 years, this has to be in the conversation off the top of my head. I mean, maybe someone can make a a list that's uh, conclusive or, or kind of a real statement list on that, and a little more thorough. But this really worked well for me. It was a really sweet, charming film, despite its subject matter. Uh, and alongside something like Ginger Snaps, which I was getting to as a, as a werewolf film from our country, two films that work really well in their genres uh, or their subgenres, as far as being dealing with certain monsters that have been kind of done to death. Well, actually, werewolves haven't really been, been done to death but we're all very familiar with with werewolves and the mythos and what have you so um yeah i, I think this needs a blu-ray release sadly it's uh it's not really a vi- i mean you can get it in a cheapo full frame dvd looks like it's been ripped from a vhs you can watch it on youtube it's in nine parts or ten parts i think which is a bit maddening but hey i mean what are you gonna do if you're you know you can do it for free you can't really piss and moan can you um, so I guess with that being the case, I'm going to get into kind of my make or break MVT and my score. Oh, uh, before I speaking of score, before I forget, um, the score for not the score, but the soundtrack for this film is really fantastic. Again, it's a, it's one that um, uses a lot of older music really well. Like it opens with Mister Sandman, which I'm a big fan of. You know, I, Back to Future opens with it really well, and or it doesn't open with it really well. There's that scene I think when. Marty wakes up. Anyway, it's been a long time since I've seen... uh, I think when it gets to the 50s and it's daytime, I think that's what happens. Uh, It has Screamin' Jay Hawkins. um, Who else does it have? The Platters. The Gandharvas. So, I mean, it has some some nice musical talent behind it. Uh, But anyway, um, to jump back into it here. My make-or-break scene would probably be the scene at the cemetery between Boya and his ex-lover Rita. Like I said, there's a lot of really great scenes, a lot of sweet moments. It's not saccharine either, mind you. Um, but that scene is really played quite well. And, and for as much as, you know, if you're going to be a sort of a Euro-trashy kind of looking vampire, you are already kind of behind the eight ball. So Curry does well to kind of earn our our admiration. And, and we we like him in spite of his kind of crimpy kind of hair and bit slight like euro mullet look or euro trash look um mvt i'm going to go with dale i think she really stretches a dollar here i think she makes a film that's very stylish it's off the beaten path for vampire films it deserves a place in the conversation of, of really good vampire films in the past 20 30 years uh without being too heavy-handed about about uh, falling into the trappings of the genre and I mean, hey, I wish she worked more. It's 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 really too bad that she hasn't. And I, we find a lot of times, female directors bring something to the table with um, with genre films that we're not getting from a lot of male directors. My score for the film is a seven point seven point. Uh, I'm gonna say seven point. Oh gosh, I shouldn't delay this much. 7.5 out of 10, and it could rise. Uh, this also features the most bonkers um, defibrillator, makeshift defibrillator scene in the history of cinema, and that's saying something. And it's definitely a treat, not a trick. So there you go, Blood and Donuts, 1995. Big ups to Miles for picking it, and you all need to check it out. It's on YouTube in nine parts. With that, I will say Adios. Alright, alright, you've been listening to the Midnight Ride with Lodge William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin, oh, to the pumpkins, and the hangman's rope to the city fold. Oh, oui. How? Hyde. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Doctor Jekyll avait en lui. un Monsieur Hyde qui était son mauvais génie. Mr. Hyde ne disait rien. Maison, secret, l'enfant. Donc... Qu'on aimait en lui Mr Hyde, ce salaud a fait la peau